Welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich, the podcast that celebrates the creative spirit that's alive and well in so many of us. And I am thrilled to welcome today a very talented artist who's risen to national notoriety as executive producer and writer for the hit Amazon TV series Transparent, a show loosely based on the story of her own family, and we'll touch on that. But our guest today, Faith Soloway, is also a creative force in other areas. She spent time working with a famous Second City TV crew, fused her musical comedy skills with her passion for folk music here in the Boston area, creating schlock opera, as she calls it, such as Miss Folk America. Faith's also worked in arts education for many years, believing strongly in that, and to that end, she's producing, scoring, and hosting with special guest Mr. Stephen Colbert and other local luminaries, a show celebrating its 25th anniversary called Band in Boston, April 1st. It's an online presentation and it's to benefit Urban Improv and Rehearsal for Life, Boston-based programs that help students develop life skills through performance and the arts. You can visit rehearsalforlife.org and get your tickets for this fun show. So let's get to some conversation and go on mic with Faith Soloway. I often introduce people as Renaissance men and Renaissance women. I think this next guest is definitely a Renaissance person of the first order, Faith Soloway. Uh, oh. You've got so many things going on, my dear. How come we haven't bumped into each other up to this point? It's amazing. Uh, I'm scratching my head at that as well, Jordan. <laughs> I have no idea. I've... Well, as I said in the introduction, you've got so many things in the fire, all of them artistic and creative. And we're going to talk about a bunch of it. But uh, when when did you come to Boston and why? Let's start with that. Okay, I came to Boston, I think it was 94. Um, and why? For a relationship. Okay. Like, doesn't everybody? Yeah. Please um, come to Boston in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I had fallen in love, and my um, partner at the time was um, needed to be rooted in Boston. And I was in... Los Angeles in a way that was a little, I don't know, a little anchorless, mm-hmm. doing some stuff, projects here and there um, that were fine, okay. And, you know, I, between my sibling and myself, I was always the one, I was more theater, comedy person, live action person. My sibling was always way more into the idea of writing for television, movies, hopefully. That was their dream. And so, you know, I think we just kind of went as long as we could together there for our collaboration. And it, it did start to feel like, hmm, what, what, why am I here again? You know, it was like the real-life Brady Bunch that sort of started our trajectory um, as collaborators and creators of, of all things. And then right. once that dropped us in L.A., and I wasn't, you know, it was hard for me to get a footing there, really. So. L.A. is a, a t- another planet for a lot of reasons. And Boston is a very, I think, a very cool town for some people, uh, not everyone, to get into mm-hmm. the arts and to do what you do and have a community in doing it. I, I just think mm-hmm. that's a, the case. So you come to Boston in the 90s, and you've been involved in a lot, including um, the theater department at Charles River Creative Arts, mm-hmm. and also a bunch of programs involving uh, young actors and young performers. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's kind of what you do when you're a performer. You're an artist yourself. You you stitch together jobs that hopefully feed you, um, literally, but also emotionally. And I've um, always loved working with children. I consider myself lucky that I, I do love that, especially. In Boston, there's there's so much. As an artist, you can be teaching. Absolutely. At the same time, a teaching Absolutely. artist and and really learn a lot in that way. So. 
Well, I've got to ask you, first of all, we're going to get to Transparent and some of the projects you're working on, but I've got to ask you about the schlock opera thing, Mm -hmm. because um, I'm a big fan of parody and satire and and fun with music, but describe it for people who are unaware. What is a schlock opera all about? Well, it's kind of exactly what you would put together if you thought about schlock and opera together. So it's, it's super camp rock musicals, rock operas, mm-hmm. where there was very little dialogue. Uh, the dialogue was, the, you know, written to get to the scene. Big, campy, you know, when I first got here, yeah, it was, my, one of my favorite things to do, I think, is taking people or subject matters that really shouldn't be on stage or people who aren't singers or people who aren't actors acting, you know, just playing with that. So in the folk scene, I started closing my shows with with three three character musicals, let's say. Like, whoever was helping me out that night, I, I made a narrative for us. Huh. And that thing just, it just grew for me. Um, at Passim, I started closing my shows with these little musicals, 20 minutes, they became a half hour, and, and then they were, they had a life of their own and moved on to the Somerville Theater. Um, and I was, you know, lucky that all the folk singers at that time really had chops to, comedy chops too, that they wanted to work out and stage chops. And so it was just a really fun fusion. That makes sense because I'm not a, a, a big aficionado on folk music, but I know a lot of folk artists and they do have a sense of humor and many of them employ that in their music that they write and perform. Right. So it, it's a it's a natural kind of outgrowth. So you played Passim's a lot, eh? I did. I did a, a, a lot at Passim's. And that, that is definitely where I developed that the little, the mini schlock opera um, <laughs> and then moved on to the summer boat. But uh Back then, Rick LaMacchia, who uh, since uh, has, has departed us uh, mm-hmm. recently, he ran Song Street, Depart- uh, Song Street Productions, and I was uh, he, he would always have those big bills at the Somerville Theater with all the, the folk artists, and um, we pitched him the idea of doing Miss Folk America, which is something I did, I think, late 90s, mm-hmm. and then Jesus Has Two Mommies. Um, both <laughs> we did at... Um, I don't know that we did Miss Folk America at Passim. Maybe we did. I can't remember. But both things just had the ability to work on a bigger scale. So One of the things, Faith, that people outside of the New England area may not understand is that there's a very vibrant folk scene. You know, people think folk music, they may think down south and Midwest. And, uh, you know, there's some great, great artists, men and women, and younger people coming up, which is kind of exciting. So The scene was huge in the 90s. I mean, like, if we're talking about funny songwriters, of course, like, it, it was at its heyday, Vance Gilbert and Cheryl Wheeler, and mm. um, those are, you know, a couple of the funny ones, and just, uh, you just look around and there was, everybody was just great artists, Katie Curtis, of course, and Jennifer Kimball. And well, it was coffee Mary houses Doshay. before lattes, I like to say. It was the coffee right. before the yeah, mocha java. <laughs> but the bars too, right. Yeah, yeah bars we too. Met. Yeah, we yeah. met at the same, the Cantab Lounge, and there was just this circuit, and it was just this, like you said, this like really friendly way of people sharing gigs and and um, it was a great community for me. I mean, I didn't know anybody when I came here. Not one person except for my girlfriend, who mm-hmm. I, I moved. And I went to the Kendall Cafe back then, which turned into a 
southern um, restaurant, um, but Kendall, Kendall Cafe, like right in Kendall's, right around Kendall Square. Um, and that's where I met my best friend. And that's where on that very day where I, I did an open mic and then met a whole bunch of people through doing open mics and got booked in that way as well. It's a good community, uh, as is the jazz community in this area. Very tight, very supportive and helpful. That's mm-hmm. terrific. So let, let's talk a little bit. I'm going in sort of chronological order here, as I usually do. Let's talk a little bit about your comedy and and musical comedy background and exposure. Because I always talk, I talk about this a lot. When, when I was a kid, I wasn't in the 60s, I wasn't listening to rock and roll. My dad only listened to classical and Broadway shows. So that's all I listened to. And I got my education and I still love it. But wh- where does this stem from, this love of... I mean, a little bit of the same. We, My sibling and I listen to musicals all the time. That's what our parents had on. Um, you know, from Hair to Jesus Christ Superstar to... I'm trying to think of what the... You know, and then the, the comedy albums. You know that were out as well. Oh yes, yes everything yes, was yes. everything was listened. You know we were listening to, not watching back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, as a young adult, I got the opportunity to work at Second City in Chicago, where I was part of the touring company. They started touring companies, and then resident resident companies. And so I started. I, I was lucky enough to go through that kind of training and. You know, I was working with the greats. How do you um, get that gig, or how do you get into that set setup? You know, because it's so tough. It was I would a imagine. real happenstance thing. It was I was doing a show. Uh, um, I had scored. I wrote music for Twelfth Night, a mm-hmm. musical adaptation of Twelfth Night mm-hmm. that me and my college friends, and we just graduated from school, Indiana University, put up a show in Chicago. Of course, Chicago theater. That's talk about things <laughs> that are that carry you, embrace you, and give you community. So all anybody wanted to go to Chicago who was like a, in a Midwestern school, let's say. It was like the dream to go to Chicago right, right. to try out theater and improv and everything. And I think, luckily, Joyce Sloan at the time, Joyce Sloan as a producer, was looking for um, piano player slash music, musical director to put on the road, and she happened to be in the audience. By the show that I wrote, this music for got great reviews, like in in the paper there. We just, we were really lucky. It was, it's re- and she came to see the show and she offered me a job uh, right. that night. That That's stepping into, it's such comedic tradition and royalty in a sense, because if you think about the greats who came through Second City, then wound up on Saturday Night Live and beyond, I mean, it's just huge. Oh, yeah. Wow. What a great education yeah. that must have been. Oh, that was terrific. And, and, the, and Fred Kaz is, is the jazz piano player who worked with Second City from early days, from the 50s. So I was just studying him and watching what he did, and that's really what I wanted to do. You know, for if I could have designed a career for myself, it would be along somewhere between him and uh, Paul Schaefer. Ah. Is that his name? <laughs> yes, Paul you know, Schaefer, yes. Yeah, Letterman's guy were, for the years. Dream, dream yeah. very niche jobs. You know, I was always very yeah. comfortable behind the scenes on the piano, um, yeah, so 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 we're talking as I introduced you as a Renaissance gal. We're talking about composing, we're talking about producing, we're talking about performing, and music yeah. is a big part of this. So let's let's bring it up to uh, the big, the IMDb moment that everybody dreams about, and that is Transparent, which uh, ran how many seasons now? F- did it run five? Yeah, four, f- five seasons. The last 
season was a, a like a, t- a musical movie that I wrote the songs for. Right, and you're so, looking to do something more with that, I understand. Yeah, we're looking to bring it to the stage. We're looking to to make it a, a musical mm. crossing fingers, when, you know. Right. Um, in, in the biggest way that we possibly can, which would be Broadway, you know. Now, Faith, I, I'm familiar with the, the series. I've seen some, not all of the episodes. But for people who are unaware, they're certainly aware of what Transparent's probably about, but they may not know the backstory. And there is a backstory, a personal backstory, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's, it's, it's based on uh, what happened in our family. My parent came out late, later in life as trans to uh, my sibling and I. I mean, we were, uh, this is pretty recent. Um, they came out, my dad came out. Mm-hmm. in her 70s, something like that. Right. That's the um, Jeffrey Tambor characters based on your father. Right. Right, okay. And uh, so that was, you know, my sibling had been writing all kinds of uh, shows for, you know, that w- would get sort of to a certain development phase and, and not get made on their own. They, they wrote for, they were on, you know, producers on shows like Six Feet Under and Mm-hmm. Um, they were always trying to write this, like this Jewish family show, <laughs> and then <laughs> this real thing happened in our in our family. And you know, with my parents' blessing, my sibling Joey was able to kind of not it. It's not our family, but you know, the, the yeah. feelings and the story. And we were they were able to model a, a the Pfeffermans, which is the transparent family, um, and uh, it again. It became a, a sensation, you know. Well, certainly the time was right. I mean, it, it, it was uh, the time just about when the transgender discussion was, was now public and people weren't hiding in the closet on it and so forth. But uh, is it likely that it would have had any shot uh, 15 years earlier? I, 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 I can't answer that. Um, I think it would have definitely been more of an eyebrow raise. We we definitely hit the the cultural zeitgeist where people were just being aware of this. You know, I would say cisgender people were just being aware of this, and trans people were um, expressing it and um, and living it. And it, it's not this just that Jordan. It's it's that it was also Amazon. You know, it was mm. that it was like this new streaming platform where they could take more chances and that caught wind in a way that I don't, you know, I think Joey took it to HBO and Showtime. Everybody was passing on it or wanted, or not, if they didn't pass, they just wanted to hold it for a while. But Amazon Mm. was the only, only company network that said, let's do this right away. Let's, let's shoot a pilot. You're absolutely right. That was, if memory serves, the crowning moment where Amazon sort of came through the pack and, and all of a sudden established itself as a network. Yeah. Now, now there's just gazillions of shows that are popping up that yeah. are produced by Amazon, but that was a groundbreaker. And it won all kinds of awards, all kinds of Emmys, all kinds of Golden Globe. I mean, it was just yeah. amazing. So how does that change your, not not personally in terms of your relationships, but how does it change your life to be associated with something that big as uh, as an executive producer? What does that do for you? God, that's a great question. How does it change my life? Um, for me personally, I wasn't in this business. Mm-hmm. So it my my sibling asking me to come and write for the show was like, you lived this, 
you know, and we've collaborated forever. Um, I think perhaps it's given me just a little bit, well, I literally learned how to write for television, so I, I didn't have that skill set before. I was, you know, I had written some pilots with my sibling before, but just mm-hmm. kind of being on my own and writing my own television scripts, I, w- I wasn't doing. So, I, you know, it puts you back to school, so I feel like I hmm. could do that if I wanted to again. Um, but I think it's just that, you know, when you're not a television person and you look at these celebrities, look, I was, I loved Judith Light so much, you know, from mm. watching her. In, uh, I know, who's uh, the boss, the right? Soap operas, right? But before that, one, one Life to Live, I mean, weirdly, she was one of my favorite people. She's, by I the way, a, she is the nicest human being. I've met and interviewed her a couple of times. She is a, an amazing nicest. woman. Yeah. And she's, and to be able to share time and, you know, coach them, you know, and that respect that is that, that give and take that you just don't ever see yourself when you're, you know, you, you would hope that for yourself. But I wasn't in that lane, you know, so to be kind of spat out out there and to be caught up in all of this was, was a lot. And um, I don't... I. I, I was I, I was probably pretty anxious the entire time, mm. you know, um, and I also was coming back and forth between Boston and Los Angeles. My and my daughter here, um, so it was it was mm. uh, it was life changing. It also was I, I had to learn on my feet quickly, and you know, it these things happen in a way that they do feel like oh, this could be the best thing that could ever happen. But it's also you are juggling a new life and adapting back and forth but i was going back and forth between boston and la and i was it was both it was everything wonderful and it was very dizzying to me Uh, i i have a question it's a little inside baseball question about writing for television in this particular case for transparent did that mean you were assigned to work with a team of writers you were overseeing were you making suggestions, writing for one character or a bunch? I mean, I'm just curious how it unfolded or if it varied. Well, everybody does it differently. The showrunner names the process, you know, Um, and they're very different animals. So writing for something like The Simpsons is more like pitching jokes. One person's always... (laughs) But same with with Transparent, like one person holds an episode, one person is assigned the way we did it. One person is the holder of that episode, and we all kind of helped each other out. That um, was very family-oriented. The writer's room was very gelled together. Um, but that's just the way we did it. I mean, Joey started by really wanting to have us really, really fused together as writers so that we, were, we, were, we could kind of relate as a family. Um, and, yeah, we were in charge of our own rep own episodes, but sometimes we collaborated, and we all looked at the whole arc together. You know, it was a very unified um, process. And Faith, you said to me that the family, your family, was supportive of the idea. Were they, uh, and this is sort of a general question, were they equally supportive as the series got rolling and things happened? Because, I mean, (laughs) there's a lot that happened on that show uh, that it was very funny, but very touching and also very, very deeply personal, I would imagine. Uh, How was the how was the run with the family reaction? Well, the family was great. It was just my parents, you know. It's just Joey and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they came out and they visited, and my mom was actually had in it for, a, you know, had a tiny 
we had a, a couple lines in a, in a scene. Uh, we call our, my, my other parent, we, we call her Mappa as well, just like the character. And so our Mappa came out and, um, you know, again, because it's not exactly our family, we're, there's a little yeah. bit of distance there, to, you know, although some things were, were reproduced a little bit. Um, as things rolled on, I think they were just, I mean, pretty proud of us. And the lucky. our parents always we're yeah. we're lucky that they they always um, you know encouraged our our artist side. That is so important. I'm going to get to the work you do with the young people in a second, but that is so critical to success. Uh, I just wanted to ask you, you and not even ask you. I'm going to tell you that I don't see how this musical idea for Transparent won't be won't be a hit because. You think about you think about all the Broadway stuff and all the shows that get get transferred into something, and and oftentimes it's a ah, big deal. But this this was such a big deal; it kind of makes makes sense. Well, and the subject matter is, is not stopping, as you know. You know the 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 story of gender, um, of kids that are transitioning, of non-binary gender, of not you know not all the way female, not all the way male, just explore or you know exploring gender is just it's just getting rolling and it has its roots right. so long ago but it was never it was all that all the research and all the study was just um stampeded really so hmm. it's I, there's <laughs> still more to talk about I, I can just imagine how your wheels are spinning when you're thinking about lyrics and songs and situations there's a lot to to do there let's before we wrap up and it's been so nice meeting you faith let's talk a little bit about rehearsal for life as mentioned in the introduction band in boston april 1st it's a tradition now what 25 years is it 25 years um i think you know they the fundraiser is a big sketch comedy show done at um most recently done at house of blues um with the, the the local luminaries uh, enacting hilarious sketches, you know. Um, <laughs> and it's it's also been really important to the program. It's really supplied uh, most of its operating budget. And what, so, what 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 can you tell us about rehearsal for life? Uh, I know about it, but the audience might not. And 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 what you see is happening when these kids get a chance to perform. Well, it's not just it's. It's not just the performing that the kids do. I mean, we show the kids scenes from slices of life, and they we stop the action of the scene, and the kids jump in and take our places and make choices in in real critical times. Mm. We're mostly in school. Um, as a young young person, you don't you feel like you don't have you don't have time to make a choice, and you and so you make choices really quickly, and or you get might get into a fight quicker because of the peer pressure or you might drink quicker you might you know you might you know feel you're not in check with yourself you're not in check with yourself as a young person because your friends are so important right. and um it really draws a circle around that for kids and it for, for it, it enables parts of their body by getting them up in a scene to trust their voice in a way that I don't know mm-hmm. that they can or have the time to, time to do during school. Um, and it's also great for kids who might be a little not, not quote-unquote, the best students. You know, they, they have a, a chance to develop another side 
of of their learning, you know, um, and be leaders in that way as well. Well, this is a virtual program this year, obviously, uh, and it's called Band in Boston. I'll give all the details in the wrap-up, but uh, I'm very, very happy that you're doing it. And you're doing it with uh, a certain television personality who's kind of well-known, Stephen Colbert, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a, a, an amazing thing that he's he's helping us out. What people don't know about Stephen Colbert, and I, I mean, it's easy to find out, is that he's got a very strong background in improv himself. Very well, yeah, funny. Well, yeah, I worked with him. It's Second City. Oh, well, that's right, Second City. Of course, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So the, you guys go back a ways, and uh, the shtick, the shtick will come right back. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> it's so nice meeting you, and uh, you, again, you're a, a light here in the city of Boston where we are from, but got a lot going on, and you're uh, sort of a creative dynamo, and I just hope it continues with good health and uh, and happiness, and really appreciate you uh, spending some time to share with us today. Oh, thank you, Jordan. Thank you for your time as well. Faith Soloway, for much more on the big event, April 1st, just a few days from the taping of this podcast, Band in Boston, to benefit urban improv and Rehearsal for Life, visit rehearsalforlife.org. Hey, thanks for visiting my website, jordanrich.com, where you can find out more about my new book, On Air, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio, soon to be an audio book, not quite yet, but on its way. And also deeply appreciative of you telling a friend about the podcast, subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing, all much appreciated. And again, find out more at my website, jordanrich.com. Thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media. Thanks to Ken Carberry, of course, at Chart Productions, where this podcast is produced. And until next time, this is Jordan saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.